This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Colbert Report, The Young Turks, The David Pakman Show, The Majority Report, NPR, Media Matters, The Daily Show, and Mumia Abu-Jamal with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Colbert Report. number one issue on everyone's mind today is jobs. It's even replaced sex, which means men now fantasize about beautiful women giving them stark paperwork. <laughs> that is why tonight, President Obama is revealing his jobs plan. And in a desperate attempt to get our attention, he is doing it in a speech before a joint session of Congress. Now, he's asking his opponents to join with him for the good of the American people, and Republican leader Mitch McConnell has agreed to put aside partisanship. We'll listen uh, politely to what he has to say and take a look at it, but our view is we need to go in an entirely different direction. See? That's meeting Obama halfway. They will listen politely to something they have already rejected. And to show their concern for the unemployed, many GOP members of Congress have come up with their own plan of not attending the speech. But the president will not be talking to an empty room, folks. Just like the Oscars, Congress has seat fillers, people who occupy the chairs but serve no real purpose. They're called Democrats. And, and skipping the speech, folks, I gotta tell you, skipping the speech isn't some F you to the president. All of these Republicans have a good reason. Like Louisiana Senator and former whore rotisserie David Vitter. <laughs> Vitter is going to be at home. I'm gonna be watching from my family room in Metairie, Louisiana because I have a Saints game party there and I'm absolutely gonna be there for the big game. As a fan addict, I have my priorities. Yeah, <laughs> priorities. There is only one kickoff game, but there will be years more of crippling unemployment. In fact, because, just because, of the Saints-Packers game, some NBC affiliates in Wisconsin aren't even carrying the speech. Well, you know what? I'm not going to watch the speech either. I am a huge fan of the Wisconsin Pac-Men. <laughs> All right, it's time to do some tailgating. Let's get this thing on. Let's get going right here. That's good. All right, let's just let's fire up the grill. Let's get going here. All right, got the Johnsonville brats going. I cannot wait to watch that football. I just, I enjoy watching that big guy tackle that other guy for the points. I love watching the points. I got myself, I got a sixer of old Milwaukee here. I've already been through a few. And I got a sixer of Listerine to wash away the taste of the old Milwaukee. And just to make sure that my uh, TV doesn't accidentally click over to Obama's speech, I'm going to remove the batteries from my remote here, and I am going to replace those. <laughs> I'm going to replace those with mini sausages. There you go. There you go. All right. There you go. Close that up. And... Uh, what do you know? I still have power. <laughs> anyway, of course, all right, that's enough tailgating. Of course, the 
most controversial aspect of the president's speech was the date, which Obama originally scheduled for last night. It was the timing of the president's speech that became the subject of a testy confrontation between the president and the speaker. There's a Republican presidential debate at the same time he wanted to speak. Honestly, I admire the president for having the swinging Air Force Twos to try and Bigfoot the Republican debate. It's the same reason I celebrate my birthday on all of my staff's birthdays. <laughs> Speaking of which, happy birthday, Glenn. Now, where the hell is my gift? But I say, folks, I say, oh, can really taste like Michigan. But I say, I say if the president is so desperate for his speech to get our attention, last night, this night, it don't matter. To reach the unemployed, he needs to deliver it when the unemployed are watching TV at 3 a.m. right after a slap chop infomercial. By the way, I partially blame the slap chop for this unemployment crisis. It chops, dices, and minces. That's three jobs it kills. Now, folks, better yet, better yet, the president, the president should just work his message into the programming that already exists at that hour. Jim? Are you constantly struggling with your straps? Right now, there are a lot of folks who are still struggling. When you wear a turtleneck, do you look like this? Democracy isn't always pretty. There's got to be a better way. We've proven that we could come together to solve problems. Introducing the all-new Genie Bra. That's how we'll meet this challenge? No more backpack. They just need that sleek silhouette. This is the perfect bra for me. That's the spirit we need to harness now. Barack Obama's bras and jobs. Well, I gotta say, our economy already seems fuller, perkier, and more confident in a tank top. It turns out that the president and the Republicans are going to work together on a new jobs program. Well, you look at that. Good news, right? It's called Georgia Works. Or does it? Uh, what is the proposal? Well, it's to take some of the long-term unemployed and give them a job. Here's a catch. They don't get paid. <laughs> you like that for a catch? Now, look, here's how it, it works in, in its totality. Uh, Businesses give these people an eight-week job training program. Now, they continue to collect unemployment insurance, but they have to work for it instead of not work for it. Okay, you know, you can say, hey, that's interesting and, and perhaps fair, right? And the great thing about it for the businesses is they don't have to pay the employees. The government does. So it's free workers for them. So 
Of course, the minute the Republicans saw this, they're like, I jump in it. I has it. They're like, yes, this is bipartisanship we can work with. Free workers for the companies paid by the American government. We're in. So now do the guys who are doing those jobs, are they getting full-time wages? No. Will they have that job after the eight-week period is over? The answer seems to be no. And let me ask you something. You really think those businesses are going to train those workers? Or are they going to say, hey, get to work. There's some boxes. Go. Okay. Whatever you got to do, stand in line. I'm getting this at a reduced rate. And at the end of eight weeks, I'm going to bring in more unemployed people to take your place. And then you're going to be back on the street. How do you like that for a bipartisan proposal? By the way, so far, how many people have benefited from this in Georgia, where Georgia Works began? (laughs) Only 19 people. That's because they go, wait a minute. You want me to work full-time but not pay me full-time wages, just pay me the unemployment, and do this huge favor for this business that won't hire me. Why would I do that? That's why only 19 people have signed up. But hey, look, if the Republicans have it their way, I'm sure they'll make it mandatory. I'm sure President Obama will go along, and then you'll all have to work for less wages, and then go back into the unemployment line. It's a beautiful system set up for corporations that get to pay less and less, and in fact, in this case, they pay nothing. They make the taxpayers pay. How do you like them apples? How's that bipartisanship working out for us? The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. Not to mention, by the way, if we believe Republicans are so desperate to focus on jobs the way they claim that they are and have for so long, why not have the speech outlining the plan on jobs as early as possible? In other words, if you really care about... There is about, no plan. Hold on a second. If, if Barack Obama is going to outline the plan in his speech, and you're a Republican, like John Boehner, and you have said point blank to the American people and to your, to your electorate, jobs are the number one concern to me, then you would want Barack Obama to give his speech as soon as possible. Why delay it even 24 hours? Let the speech happen. Let's get the plan, because you told us, John Boehner, jobs are the most important thing. What am I missing here? Sounds like a good plan. In either case, why are Republicans doing this? Let the speech happen. And then Senator Jim DeMint, odd guy, by the way, really an odd guy, He says it will actually be difficult to watch this speech. Really? You're you're having trouble with speeches now, Jim DeMint? Take a listen and look at what he had to say about this. It's very bizarre. 
Well, I'm frankly very tired of speeches. I, I don't want to be disrespectful to the president, but what, what I want to see is something in writing and that the Congressional Budget Office tells us what it's going to cost so that we can not only read it ourselves, but the American people can read it. Uh, speeches we found are, are not very similar to the actual legislation. So I'm pretty frustrated with the, the speech idea and frankly the things that have been <laughs> leaking out of the White House. All right, so he's frustrated with speeches. If you're a senator in the United States and you're tired of speeches, your entire job is basically to go to and to give speeches. That's kind of the job. Maybe senator's not the best job for you if you're so tired of speeches. This is pretty cynical because people usually don't read legislation. So if he's wanting the American people to read legislation, yeah, but they're going to be even more confused about what Obama's real policy yeah. is. Let's be honest here. People aren't going to read anything. Ima imagine for a second that, that the American people do read any legislation that, that, is, that is actually put out there. Congressional approval will drop even lower if that's even possible. Right. People, the last thing you want if you're in the House or Senate is anybody reading anything you're putting out there. Believe yeah. me. People don't even read the platforms of their uh, the people they elect to office. Yeah. And, and so really, what are they going to They're going to read uh, legislation? They're going to sit there and read it, yeah. Jim DeMint, if it's so hard for you to watch speeches, you probably shouldn't be a senator. Because in, watching... In, in what, a way, though, I have to agree with him. It is frustrating to listen to speeches where even Barack Obama just says these vague things, outlines some type of plan without going into any detail. Really? Just Barack Obama gives, says vague things and doesn't go into detail? That's just Barack Obama who does that? No, no, That's I what Jim DeMint does. That's what all politicians do, Dave. Right. Well, and I'm so, saying it is frustrating to listen to. Yeah, but if you're part of it, you can't, you can't just point yeah. it out and say that's what you're frustrated with. That's, you're part that's of the, the ridiculous part. Oh, by the way, also, he says, I don't want to be disrespectful to the president. And then he goes on to do nothing but disrespect the president. It's like, listen, I don't want to be a murderer, okay? And then you kill someone five seconds later. I, 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 I just want to be clear. I do not want to be a murderer. It doesn't matter. If you do it, you do it. Saying I don't want to disrespect the president, well, it sounds like you're being disrespectful without wanting to then. Wasn't as disrespectful as some other people. Listen, I don't want to be... A murderer. <laughs> so anyway, that's what's going on with the jobs thing. I think Republicans just making a mistake strategically. Let the speech happen. Then you come out and say, you know what? We moved our debate because we said we're concerned about jobs. Therefore, we wanted the jobs speech as soon as possible. And now we're going to go ahead and bash the speech because it wasn't good. That, I think, strategically would have made more sense for Republicans. I don't know. Let's do the Jimmer, Jimmy Reefer cake. This is Jobs Plan. You better understand. And uh, let's hear it now. Very, very timely. Big Jobs Plan came out last night. Let's hear it. The elections are 
14 months away, but some people don't have that long to wait. Better pass some jobs plan right away. If you don't understand, let, let me set you straight. This ain't no fancy stimulus, got a very simple name. We're getting unemployed people back in the game. Working in the classroom or with a shovel in your hand. It's a job plan, you better understand. This is a job plan, you better understand. It's not about Obama if he hit a home run. Looks like Bainer's been spending too much time in the sun. Cause people needed work and they ain't got none. And we're counting on Congress to get the job done. That was great. Those instrumentals were awesome. Yeah. The, the song was really catchy. The house mix, right? I mean, this is the uh, the house mix of this thing, and um, I thought um, Jimmy Reefcake was also very, very, uh, very subtly insightful. With this ain't no fancy stimulus, got a very simple name. In fact, Obama never said the word stimulus, but this is in fact what it is. This is essentially stimulus part de, and uh, which is what the stimulus was in the first place, a jobs plan. I mean, it's to get the economy going again, and we need jobs so that it creates aggregate demand. Uh, and uh, Jimmy Reefcake, very, very attuned to what uh, was going on with that speech. I think this was his first song that didn't mention himself, nor did it mention weed. That's a good point. <laughs> That's true. I That's a very that. good point. It did not say something like Jimmy Reefercake says the election months are fourteen away, uh, and uh, you got to get high while you're getting a job. So uh, kudos to Jimmy Reefercake. I, I really like that. Song. That was a great song. It's two weeks in a row he's pulled. That's off. a song like uh, my my Milo and I would dance to. We dance at home. That's what we do. Dance with me. I want to be a partner. Can't you? As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. They asked Eric Cantor, who's of course one of the leaders in the House for the Republicans, hey, uh, what do you think of this uh, new jobs plan? And uh, Cantor says, quote, anything that is akin to the stimulus bill I think is not going to be acceptable to the American people. I love how he always speaks for the American people. Didn't the American people elect President Obama? 
uh, but apparently, no, they uh, don't want what their president uh, is asking for because Eric Cantor has a mind meld with the American people. And by the way, the American people totally wants a jobs plan. Ask, look at any survey, any poll taken on it, but no, Eric Cantor knows better. Instead, they want jobs to be in worse situation, apparently. He says, quote, I don't believe that our members are going to be interested in pursuing that, and I certainly am not. Now we're getting closer to the truth. Forget the American people. The Republican membership has no interest in doing a jobs plan. No matter if it's half their ideas on tax cuts or not, it doesn't matter. They're not going to do it, okay? Now, Cantor does say, because he's very merciful, look, if you want to do half, the half that are pure tax cuts for businesses and corporations, well, out of the goodness of our heart, we can agree on our own proposals, some of them. Okay, you want to do tax cuts for the middle class through the payroll tax? No, we're not going to do that. Okay, only for the rich. Okay, you want to do spending on infrastructure and teachers? <laughs> do teachers sound rich to you? Of course, we're not in favor of that. If a bridge falls in my district, unless there's a rich person on it, I don't give a damn. That's what Eric Cantor is basically telling you. So he says anything that helps the rich, we're in. Everything else, no way. Okay. Now he continues by saying. This is funny. I haven't had a chance to see the bill. There's no bill yet. So I want to wait to see the bill. I will tell you that over half, I think, of the total dollar amount is so-called stimulus spending. We've been there, done that. The country cannot afford more spending like the stimulus bill. In other words, I haven't seen the bill. I don't know what's in it. But I guarantee you I'm opposed to at least half of it. You will not be able to spend an extra dime as long as the Republicans are in charge, because that might actually help somebody in the middle class and and lead to votes for Obama, which is the number one primary objective of the Republicans. No votes for Obama. Nothing that could help him, even if it helps the country. So you might think under these circumstances, well, maybe Cantor's on to something. Maybe we don't need infrastructure spending, right? Wait till you get a load of the real numbers. Well, it turns out that uh, the nation's deteriorating uh, bridges, roads, highways, etc. need only a $2 trillion investment. Now, I don't just pick that number out of a hat. I'm going to tell you exactly where it comes from. Uh, It is from the Bureau of Transportation Statistics. It is nonpartisan. And it says 12% of the nation's bridges are considered, quote, structurally deficient. Remember the bridge in Minnesota that collapsed? That was on the list of structurally deficient bridges because it turns out it was structurally deficient and fell down. Now, when it did, of course, uh, 13 people were killed. A lot more were injured, great property damage, because you needed to fix the bridge. That's 12% of the bridges across the country. That's a huge number. Now, another uh, 12% are considered functionally obsolete, okay? So they need help as well, obviously, right? So you might think, all right, well, look, these are all across the country, but maybe they're only in uh, blue districts, so the Republicans don't give a damn about, you know, bridges in New York or in Rhode Island or in California. Of course, that's not true. Uh, in Ohio, where John Boehner's from, he's the uh, majority leader, obviously, I'm sorry, Speaker of the House and the leader for the Republicans in the House, uh, 27% of the bridges uh, are either structurally deficient or uh, functionally obsolete. Now, in Kentucky, where Mitch McConnell, the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, is from, 34% of the bridges are in that category. And Eric Cantor, the man who doesn't think we should spend anything, uh, not a single dollar more, to help our infrastructure, well, in Virginia, 
26% of the bridges are either structurally deficient or functionally obsolete, meaning they could fall down. But Eric Cantor doesn't give a damn because fixing those bridges might help the American people, which might get Obama more votes. Again, Republican ideology in a nutshell. You say you don't need the union, son. You can do it all yourself. You will sign the boss's contract and the union can go to hell. You say they'll treat you fair and honest. The battle days are a closed book. Well, if you really believe that, son, you're more stupid than you look. Bad old ways, bad old days, one begets the other. The struggles of the past of the working class, you had to stick together. That our unity was our only key to unlock poverty's chains. While divide and rule was the boss's tool, and son, that has not changed. Now, I know this plan is terrible, but I also know it's 200 pages long, so I don't know why it's terrible. <laughs> Luckily, the friendly friends at Fox and Friends put their research team on the case, and they zeroed in on the fatal flaw. President Obama's jobs bill, hot off the presses, at Kinko's, hundreds of billions in tax hikes and new spending bound together with that chintzy clip. Look at that thing. Yeah, look at that chintzy clip. <laughs> he couldn't even ask an intern for a duo tang? Which, it's important to note, does not mean the same thing it did when Clinton asked interns for a duo tang. And, and in case you missed the Fox and Friends in-depth analysis, do not worry, it was all over the news. Jim? Come on, this is your jobs bill. That deserves a, a large, shiny binder. And instead, it's, it's with a little clip. We need the good one from Kinko's, right? I'll tell you, folks, the story of Clipgate is spreading like wildfire all the way from Fox News Studio E to Fox News Studio J. But it's not just Fox News, folks. This story has been picked up all across things Rupert Murdoch owns. Like yesterday's New York Post, O Gives Jobs Clip Service, tax hike plan bound by chintzy fastener. Yeah, why so chintzy? If he really believed in this bill, he should have presented it in a leather-bound volume with gold filigree and illuminated initials. So the Republicans had something presentable to dismiss before they ever look at it. Plus, plus, if the president was serious about getting Americans working, he would have given that clip's job to an unemployed person. Let's talk about the Obama jobs plan. The president's plan that he spoke about a few days ago, 
is about a $447 billion stimulus package. It would include small business payroll tax cuts, tax credits for businesses that hire new workers, new construction jobs to repair bridges, build public schools, other infrastructure. The big thing, Lewis, in the speech was do this right away. We heard that over and over from Barack Obama. Pass this right away. One of the other specific tax credits in it would be a $4,000 tax credit to small businesses when they hire new workers or raise current workers' salaries. President Obama also wants to cut payroll taxes in half for small businesses. Now, here's what's fascinating and really what shows us that we should be very concerned about the political future in this country. Fifty, five-zero House Republicans proposed the same payroll tax cut that's in this plan, okay? And there are many other aspects to this plan that are relatively conservative in nature, fiscally conservative in nature, or ideas that Republicans typically like. And there is going to be big trouble in passing this thing because we have a situation where everything is about the next election, everything is about special interests. It's almost going beyond the politicians' individual preferences and political views. I mean, it is the ultimate system of corruption. It seems like this is just another one of those middle-of-the-road plans that has things from both sides in it that is kind of a compromise, not exactly what we're looking for, might do some good, doesn't really make everyone happy, but... Well, some, many say that a good compromise leaves everyone unhappy. But the way that this is being framed by Obama is that everybody should be happy about this. If anything, that should be an indication it's either not really a good compromise or there's something fishy going on. We're talking about stimulus spending combined with spending cuts. So President Obama also asked that the Republican committee, or rather the uh, committee of Dem Democrats and Republicans in charge of finding all of those cuts by Christmas time that were done in the budget deal need to expand the amount of cuts that they're going to find. Now, you know my view on this, Lewis. Let's start looking at defense in a serious way. Let's start drawing down the military-industrial complex, which has been feeding itself like a, I don't even know what, like, oh, a, bottom, like a bottomless pit. It's untouchable. No one even talks about it. It's almost Except for not, Ron Paul. It's almost not even discussed. We're all dressed up, nowhere to go. We lost our way about halfway home. Hey, David Pakman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpakman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of The David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com. President Obama's jobs and deficit reduction plan includes a new tax proposal. He calls it the Buffett Rule. It would impose a new tax on people who make more than a million dollars a year, who currently pay a much lower rate than an average middle-class American. The president, in fact, proposed this rule to a group of people with a lot of millionaires in it. Congress, NPR's Andreas Seabrook reports. 
the number of Americans who are millionaires is pretty low, about 1% of the population. Members of Congress who are millionaires, nearly 50%. That's according to the Center for Responsive Politics, a nonpartisan watchdog group that tracks money in politics. Michael Beckel is its spokesman. He says of the 435 members of the House... 244 current members of Congress are millionaires. That's about 46%, and that includes 138 Republicans and 106 Democrats. Beckel is talking about net worth, the total amount of money and assets lawmakers have, according to their own financial disclosure forms. In fact, there are probably many more millionaires in Congress, since lawmakers don't have to include the value of their family home and other details. Beckel says this wealth already makes life pretty different for lawmakers than for the constituents they represent. A member of Congress is more likely to be hit by the tax hike they're considering. Now, the Buffett rule is not aimed at millionaires per se, but at people who earn an income of at least a million dollars a year. Some in Congress come under this category too, but people much more likely to get hit by the Buffett rule? The donors. We don't know how many political donors are millionaires, but we do know that it takes a certain amount of disposable income to make political contributions. Campaigns are expensive. In 2010, says Beckel, the average winner of a House race spent $1.5 million. The average Senate winner spent close to $10 million. The hot races are even more expensive, and about half of that money on average comes from an elite group of very wealthy donors. People who get a lot of attention from politicians. People who have plenty of opportunities to tell lawmakers how they feel about a new millionaire's tax. Wealthy Americans have more access to lawmakers than most regular voters and constituents do. Now, not everyone agrees that the flow of money in politics creates a conflict of interest for lawmakers on some issues. Roger Pilon of the libertarian think tank, the Cato Institute, says just the opposite. They're not going to be affected or corrupted by any single small contribution. In fact, the more money there is, the less potential there is for such corruption. If a lawmaker votes against a millionaire's tax, Pilon believes it's because of his or her political ideology, not because of a campaign donation. So what we have here is a kind of chicken and egg question. Which came first, the donation or the decision on how to vote for a particular bill? For the wealthy, opportunities to lobby against the millionaire's tax happen every day. All they have to do is pay the minimum donation, which could be $5,000 or even $30,000. When you look at the Republicans and how they are reacting to Obama's jobs plan, oh, it's Republican 101. They don't want to help the economy. They don't want to create jobs because that might get Obama reelected. But I'm not the one saying that. Here's a senior Republican House aide telling Politico, quote, Obama is on the ropes. 
why do we appear ready to hand him a win? So why are we gonna help him? No way, we're not gonna help him at all, even if it's right for the country. Do you understand the implication? Here's the second part of that quote. I just don't wanna co-own the economy by having to tout that we passed a jobs bill that won't work or at least won't do enough. So they say, look, if we pass a jobs bill, even if it does something, then the, Obama can turn around and say, well, I pass it with the Republicans, and we can't blame him for it. But if we don't help him, okay, A, you don't get a jobs bill, less jobs, easier to defeat Obama. B, even if you, it somehow passes, as long as we're against it, we can say, oh, you see that? It didn't do enough. Uh, it's all Obama's fault. All the economy, all the job problems are Obama's fault as long as we don't work with them. Do you understand how the Republican mind works? That's why hoping for bipartisanship with these guys is a fool's errand. They're never going to do it. Point number two, uh, when they asked Texas Representative Pete Sessions about this, he said, quote, to assume that we're naturally for these things because we've been for them does not mean we will be for them if they cause debt. Let me decipher that for you. He's saying even the proposals that we were in favor of originally, that President Obama then reintroduced, saying, I agree with you Republicans, we are no longer for them. He said, just because we were for them before doesn't mean we're going to be for them now. No, that's it. We're off this train. Okay? And why? Because Obama proposed it. If Obama proposes it, by definition, we will hate it and fight against it. Republican thinking 101. To try for bipartisanship with these guys. Are you crazy? Point number three. When they asked uh, Sessions again, they said, okay, well, look, won't you look bad as well? Look at your poll numbers. Your poll numbers are even worse than Obama's. Aren't the American people going to judge you as well? He said, this is interesting. He said, quote, the American people will judge us on the aggregate, not on specifics. In other words, he's saying they're going to forget all the specifics of who is in favor of what bill and what jobs plan. All they're gonna, all they're gonna remember, we hope, after all of our political spending on all those ads that we're gonna get the money from the corporations for to do, we're gonna say, jobs, where's the jobs? If it's bad unemployment, it must be Obama's fault. That's what they mean by, hey, all they're gonna remember is the aggregate. So yeah, we're gonna oppose everything. Yes, we're gonna screw it up on purpose. Yes, we're gonna make sure you don't get jobs, but you won't remember those specifics. All you'll remember is what we paid uh, uh, to tell you through our political ads, which is bad unemployment, hence Obama should be fired, okay? That's the Republican strategy. Now, President Obama apparently has caught on to that, and, uh, and he mentioned this, I believe, this specific article. Let's go to clip one. There are some in Washington, uh, who'd rather settle our differences through politics and the elections than try to resolve them now. In fact, Joe and I, as we were walking out here, we were looking at, you know, one of the Washington newspapers and was quoting a Republican aide saying, I don't know why we'd want to cooperate with Obama right now. It's not good for our politics. Mm. That was very explicit. It was. Uh, I mean, that's the attitude in this town. Yeah, we've been for these things before, but I don't know why we'd be for them right now. And the notion that there are folks who would say we're not going to try to do what's right for the American people because we don't think it's convenient for our politics. We've been seeing that too much around here. Look, I hope he's caught on, man. That was, again, encouraging to see. Hey, thank you. Finally. Yes, that's right. They don't want to work with you. They're not going to work with you under any circumstances. doesn't matter if you're really, really right, and it's really their ideas in the first place. They still don't want to work with you. I hope he's finally gotten it through his head, okay? Now, if the campaign is starting now, as some are positing, 
You know what? And the campaign means you fight these Republicans harder on all these issues. I say that's a good day in America. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Jess Levin. Last night, Fox News and the rest of the conservative media accused President Obama of engaging in class warfare, this time in response to Obama's deficit reduction plan, which reportedly calls for increasing taxes on the wealthy. Bill O'Reilly, who makes an estimated $10 million a year, complained how the proposed increase could affect him personally. But if you tax achievement, some of the achievers are going to pack it in. Again, let's take me. My corporations employ scores of people. They depend on me to do what I do so they can make a nice salary. If Barack Obama begins taxing me more than 50%, which is very possible, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this. I like my job, but there comes a point when taxation becomes oppressive. Is the country really entitled to half a person's income? Don't make any promises you can't keep, Bill. I hope you enjoyed this show, but also consider it a valuable tool for not only aggregating, but more importantly, amplifying our view of progressive politics in the world. So if that's true, I ask you to support this work by becoming a member of the show at whatever level you're able, as anything from a basic leftist up through the ranks of socialist, communist, Satanist, or even the most reviled level of support, George Soros. I produce 11 episodes a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule. So if that sounds worth supporting, please consider signing up to donate as little as 5 a month or even $55 a year. Members also gain access to bonus audio and video content that doesn't make it into the show itself. So for a concrete way to support a strong progressive voice, please visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Monday morning, President Obama took to the White House Rose Garden where... Appearing in front of the very doorknobs that might be hitting him in the ass next November, he talked debt and taxes. Today I'm laying out a set of specific proposals to finish what we started this summer. You mean Fort Awesome? <laughs> Treehouse I was building on the White House lawn. Yes. It's a plan that reduces our debt by more than $4 trillion and achieves these savings in a way that is fair. Uh, What we'll do is, one at a time, excuse ourselves to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Then we will climb out of the window and into Canada. (laughs) No, seriously. What's the plan? It comes down to this. We have... To prioritize. Either we ask the wealthiest Americans to pay their fair share in taxes, or we're going to have to ask seniors to pay more for Medicare. We can't afford to do both. Either we gut education and medical research, or we've got to reform the tax code so that the most profitable corporations have to give up uh, tax loopholes that other companies don't get. We can't afford to do both. This is not class warfare. It's math. say this. Barack Obama knows one thing. You can never go wrong appealing to Americans' love of math. (laughs) 
probably something he stole based on the hugely popular online role-playing game, World of Mathcraft. <laughs> My character Rhombus wears a Pythagoras hat. It gives him a plus two angle power. That's how you're going to sell your program to Americans? You're going to love it? It's not war, the thing we're best at? It's math, the thing we're 32nd out of 65 in the world at? Or, as we like to think of it, the top 10%? But the president has finally drawn a stark policy difference between himself and his opponents. We must either raise taxes on the wealthy or risk the very fabric of our 70-year social safety net. Now, the Republicans must be able to counter this by putting a human face on the burden this will place on our nation's most vulnerable wealthy. <laughs> Q, Louisiana Republican congressman and small business owner of 33 Subway sandwich shops, John Fleming. The Wall Street Journal estimated that your businesses, which I believe are Subway sandwich shops and UPS yes. stores, very successful, yes. brought you last year over $6 million. Yeah, that's before you pay 500 employees. The amount that I have to reinvest in my business and feed my family is more like 600000 of that $6.3 million. And so by the time I feed my family, I have, you know, maybe 400000 left over to invest in new locations, upgrade my location buy more equipment settle down <laughs> let's ignore for a moment that this gentleman seems to have an incredibly <laughs> accountant <laughs> who has advised him to pay personal income tax on money he reinvests in his business let's blow past the fact that under Obama's plan instead of having $400,000 to upgrade your stores and buy equipment you'd have $381,000. <laughs> Let's focus on the $200,000 you say a year you need to feed your family. Now, <laughs> I'm going to tell you something you may not know. There is a place where you can buy a full 12 inches of meat sub deliciousness for $5. Now, By my calculations, $200,000 will buy you 40,000 feet of food. That is eight miles of room temperature honey cured, technically turkey. Perhaps you've heard of these places. They're everywhere! So, problem solved. Again, if you go after the higher income earners, you're also going after the job creators. So whatever is cut out of those earnings is money taken out of capital for reinvestment, for creating more jobs, opening up more locations. More locations <laughs> at long last, sir. We don't need more subways. I'll show you. We sent Wyatt's snack to the nearest subway. Wyatt, where are you right now? I'm right here, John. And by the way, the only reason they opened a subway next to our studio was that the one inside our studio couldn't handle all the business. It's right over there. You don't normally see it on camera. But it smells like a loaf of bread took So that's fine. Taxes go up. Taxes... 
prices go up, you may find yourself at times more than 20 sandwich lengths away from the next subway store, for they are plentiful. But there is, sadly, only one Papa Bear. If you tax achievement, some of the achievers are going to pack it in. Again, let's take me. My corporations employ scores of people. They depend on me to do what I do, so they can make a nice salary. If Barack Obama begins taxing me more than 50%, which is very possible, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this. I like my job, but there comes a point when taxation becomes oppressive. So if taxes are raised, Bill O'Reilly might quit his Fox show? That brings us to our new segment, no. Stop. Bill. Don't. Please. No. I shouldn't poke fun. Bill's just standing up for a, a shrinking, exploited minority. Right now, taxpayers with incomes above $1 million represent just 0.2%, not 2%, 0.2% of all income tax returns. Yet the million-dollar babies pay 21% of all the federal income tax. Millionaires are disappearing from America. The super-rich will go extinct. We'd add them to the endangered species list, but you know how much they despise government regulation. Oh, cruel irony, people! Every day, America loses more and more millionaires to abusive individual and corporate tax rates. Their habitats are slowly disappearing. Their watering holes drying up. If we don't, if we don't act quickly, these once plentiful creatures will be relegated to zoos and heartbreaking documentaries. Hi, I'm John Stewart. Will you be an angel for a helpless multimillionaire? Every day, James Merriweather Phillips Mr. James to his domestic staff <laughs> and thousands more like him live in fear that the top marginal tax rate will be raised from its current 35% to 39.6% <laughs> but you can help for just most of what you earn in a year you can help James make up that difference Call now, because he wants the money now. We'll be right back.
jobs bill ain't enough. When President Barack Obama made his speech before a rare joint session of Congress on his jobs bill, he spoke with an intensity that has seemed to be missing since Inauguration Day 2009. The reason is simple, the worsening economy, joined with the gnawing unemployment problem, especially among black voters, threatens to make the nation's first black president a one-term president. Falling poll numbers, of course, also played a role. And his bill, if it should pass, and that's a big if given the political complexion of the U.S. House, would seem to have measurable effects on the jobless rate. But what poses a problem for this program is it doesn't address the 300-pound gorilla in the room, NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement, and its inducement to employers to flee U.S. shores for cheaper labor abroad. Unless and until that contradiction is addressed by both White House and Congress, jobs bills are but band-aids on bullet wounds, period. The sad truth is that capitalism is in crisis, and it is cannibalizing every conceivable source of profit. Thus, unions are whipped into submission. Public schools are undermined. Foreclosures are escalating, and politicians are openly for sale to the highest bidder. Unless NAFTA is either repealed or seriously amended, the siphoning of good-paying jobs can only intensify with direct consequences for unemployment, falling or stagnant wages, declining taxation, and the further destruction of social services. In a nutshell, the system is broken. One bill, even a $400 billion bill, won't make it work. From death row, this is Mumia Abu. The Obama administration announced how they will be paying for the new round of what they don't want to call a stimulus because the Republicans have made that a dirty word when in fact there's nothing wrong with stimulus the new round of stimulus that they want uh, whether it's the tax cuts that are directed at uh, hiring the unemployed etc the payroll tax cuts and also the spending on infrastructure so uh, they want to spend 447 billion dollars on it they said it would be paid and now they've got a proposal to pay for it through $467 billion. Mission accomplished, if they can get it through Congress. Now, I'm really excited by this, because this is a proposal that I wholeheartedly support. They No more uh, cuts on spending, going after people's Medicare and Social Security, at least not within this context. 
for the purpose of this new uh, uh, spending, they are saying we're going to pay for it by increasing some taxes in areas that are logical, that make sense, and I totally agree with them. Let me lay out the four areas that they're discussing and show you why it's so logical. Number one, they say that for people making over $200,000 or families making over $250,000, they will limit their deductions, okay? So look, that makes sense. Uh, If you're in the top bracket, uh, they limit your deductions and that brings some money into the into the treasury, I got no problems with it. I was worried that they would limit deductions for everybody. So then the middle class would get hit really hard uh, by taking away possibly their home mortgage deduction, etc. But since it doesn't hit the middle class, I'm much more comfortable with it. Now, number two, uh, they are treating carried interest as ordinary income rather than capital gains. Okay, again, this sounds complicated, it's not. This is basically very large investors who make money off of investing other people's money, right? It's not their money that they're actually risking. It's not really capital gains. That's capital gains when you say, all right, I'm investing and I made this much money from capital gains. This is income that they are earning by investing other people's money. Of course it should be taxed at the regular rate of 35% if they're in the top bracket. So they are gonna fix that, that's fantastic. Number three, they're gonna end tax subsidies for the oil and gas companies. And that is uh, to the tune of $40 billion over the next 10 years. Now, understand why that makes so much sense. Because you're telling the most profitable companies in the world, hey, you know what, we are today. I'll give you a subsidy for doing something you make a tremendous profit off of anyway. It's like giving Nike a subsidy to make sneakers. Well, they don't need extra incentive to make sneakers. They make money off of making sneakers. <laughs> if you keep giving subsidies for things they make money off of anyway, you ironically turn this in a, into a bit of a socialist or even communist country. Why would I give a subsidy to Coke to produce Coke? That doesn't make any sense, especially if they're already profitable. It's not a new industry or anything like that. And so why would we give money to ExxonMobil to drill for oil when they make a tremendous amount of money? In fact, they make more money than any other company in the world when they drill for oil. So taking away that subsidy is great and is money that uh, no longer comes out of our pocket if it passes. And then finally, we will be uh, getting rid of the tax break for corporate jet owners. Now that's $3 billion, but hey, that's $3 billion uh, that will take obviously a, a nonsense subsidy for corporate jets. I mean, this is exactly how the rich have rigged the system to make sure they pay almost no taxes and we share all the tax burden among the middle class, right? So. I love that this is a proposal that actually brings in revenue. It's directed in exactly smart and logical ways. And the final reason that I like it is because it's smart politics as well as policy. Because it's basically the Obama administration saying, hey, you know what? If you want to make this argument, and you want to be for the rich, and you want to be for their corporate jets and their oil subsidies, etc., well, you go ahead and make that argument, but I'm for teachers. I'm for education. I'm for infrastructure. In fact, uh, they say it. Uh, here's uh, President Obama. Quote, uh, do we keep tax loopholes for oil companies or do we put teachers back to work? Now, you see, that's good framing. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. When you go into election, you go, okay, I'm for the teachers. They're for the rich. Whose side are you on? Okay. I mean, it's politics 101. Thank God they're finally there. Uh, quote number two from Obama. Should we keep tax breaks for millionaires and billionaires? Or should we invest in education and technology and infrastructure? All the things that are going to help us 
out-innovate and out-educate and out-build other countries in the future. Oh, thank God, finally some sense. If you want to oppose our policies, fine. Republicans, stand on the side of millionaires and billionaires. We're on the side of spending money on infrastructure, teachers, and that's part of this uh, new stimulus that he's proposing, $35 billion, goes to rehiring teachers at the state level, okay? It's winning politics, it's winning policy, let's go get them. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So for those of you listening very closely, you may recall that a couple of episodes back, I had a story that I was going to tell but didn't have time that would explain uh, why I dislike freedom. And I promised to tell it in the future. And lo and behold, the future is now, so everybody get excited. So this story takes place a few weeks ago uh, on a day when I went for a drive, which is not a normal thing for me to do because I don't own a car. This is a special day. I had a special place to go uh, outside the city. So I rented a zip car. I drove out. I did uh, my thing. And then I came back. And on the way back, this is what happened. I was attempting to have a perfectly normal discussion with my passenger and navigate at the same time. And that resulted in me taking a wrong turn. Not like a big wrong turn where I got lost, just a wrong turn where I had to, you know, get kind of frustrated and a little bit flustered and then pull off to the side of the road and then figure out how to turn around and then wait for traffic to, you know, open up so that I could get across the street when I was, and, you know, all those sorts of things that happen when you're driving. And what I realized in that moment was that this was not perfect, but an imperfect and pretty good uh, analogy for my entire worldview. And, uh, and, and the first thing I thought was, boy, do I hate taking personal responsibility. You see what happens when you take personal responsibility? As soon as it's my job to navigate, I take a wrong turn. And now I'm wasting all this time and I'm getting frustrated and flustered and all these things. And you know, as long as I'm disliking personal responsibility, uh, throw in rugged individualism in there as well. Who, you know, if if being rugged and individual means that I'm going to take a wrong turn because it's my job to get myself from point A to point B, well, then that's a waste of my time. And and as long as we're going down this path, let's just, let's go all in and just say freedom, blanket freedom. I'm opposed to that. And so I so, – so, so the conversation with the passenger turned from whatever it had been to this. <laughs> and, and so this is kind of what I started talking about. I was like, man, you know, this is, this is so – like it's such a great comparison between personal transportation and public transportation and the philosophical differences between socialism and, and uh, libertarianism. And I was just like, you know, I love when things are provided for me. And, you know, not that I want to have things given to me for free, but, you know, by paying taxes and subsidizing public transportation and then paying my, you know, my moderate tolls to, uh, to get on a bus or a train, <clears throat> you know, they get me where I need to go and they never take wrong turns. But not only do they not take wrong turns, I don't even have to pay attention. I could have as in-depth of a conversation as I want with the person next to me. 
or listen to you know political talk shows or read a book or send text messages and, or just look out the window at the scenery. And I'm still going to get to where I'm going, but I don't have to pay any attention. Whereas when you're a rugged individual uh, exercising your you know, personal responsibility and, and individual freedom to go out and drive yourself, well, that's what you have to focus on. It's harder to do anything else because you have to focus on getting yourself there and making sure you're getting there safely. You're not getting lost. And you're taking the proper route. And if you have to pay a toll, you have to find the you know, cash to pay it uh, while you know, the, all, all that stuff. I was like, man, I love not dealing with that stuff. And, you know, I love public parks and public beaches and, and all, all of these things that, that we appreciate from – that basically come from socialist philosophy. And so, you know, the arguments are made against the argument. They say uh, government wastes money. And I'm not even going to argue against that. But what I will say is that time is money, right? That's kind of a universal uh, – universally accepted idea. And what I will say is I would much rather have the government take some of my money and then waste some part of whatever they took and as long as they, for the most part, get things done that uh, make my life better and easier. And so what I think is that my personal time is actually pretty valuable. Whether or not I'm doing anything important with it, I just I, – I would much rather spend my time staring off in, into the distance then have to fret about uh, you know health insurance and making sure that I'm covered and making sure my paperwork's filled out right. Or I would much rather sit on a bus and space out than uh, you know than have to be the one driving and paying attention and making sure I'm not running into anyone or you know getting run into <laughs> or getting lost or any of those sorts of things. And so the the idea of disliking freedom comes from that libertarian idea of you know when government does things they take away from your own personal freedom you know if uh, just the act of of enforcing taxation on their citizens they're impinging on your personal freedom and you know my thought on that is is that I mean first of all we've all heard those arguments you know between political people of, of two different stripes of any kind if it gets heated enough. Someone's going to tell the other person to take their ideas and go to another country and live somewhere else and go find yourself an island to implement your crazy ideas and enjoy but leave the rest of us alone. The most recent time I heard this was from a libertarian saying, hey, all you socialists who want to go uh, you know, help each other out, that's fine. Just go do it somewhere else and leave the rest of us alone, which is funny because at least in America, you know, the – even though we don't realize it and we don't use the word socialism, we have hugely socialist programs that people adore and you know it helps people's quality of life and they would hate it if those programs disappeared. But, uh, but we don't call it socialism because that's a bad word. And so it's, it's funny. You know, if, if one group, if the, the people who appreciate socialism and the people who appreciate uh, libertarianism, if we had to decide – who was impinging on whose turf, it's clearly the socialists who have built society to be what it is. I mean, frankly, socialism built humanity to be what it is. You know, humans as individuals are incredibly, you know, frail and fragile creatures, and the only way we clawed our way to the top of the food chain is by working together. It's socialism. <laughs> it's not rugged individualism that uh, that got us to the point of being able to build cities and uh, you know and not have to worry day in and day out about whether or not we we're going to be eaten by a wild animal. So, 
you know, so the libertarians, like, frankly, they're getting a free ride. They think that they should have personal freedom in uh, every aspect, and yet they take advantage of all of the uh, comforts that socialism has built for them over the last, you know, few thousand years. And so anyways, they had this idea of personal freedom being, being the pinnacle of freedom. Everyone's free to do whatever they want and, and you should be able to you know, live without the influence of, of government. And, and if their uh, utopia were to come to fruition, of course, we would all be incredibly miserable because there would be no structure to, to society and, and uh, it would be awful in a whole lot of ways that I don't think that they foresee properly. But, but this is their idea of freedom and so why I say, as I did at the very beginning, why do I dislike freedom? Well, it, it turns out I just have a slightly different opinion of the definition of freedom as, as others. You know, my idea of freedom is, uh, you know, freedom is peace of mind. Freedom is the ability to relax. And uh, if, if I spent all my time being completely free of the constraints of government, but in turn, that meant that I had to provide everything for myself and I had to do all of the research for myself to figure out what healthcare uh, I was going to get. And I had to do all the research for myself to figure out what food I was going to buy that wasn't tainted because there's no FDA to give at least a baseline of, you know, comfort in, you know, standards for, for food. And I had to do all the research on everything there was out there to make sure that I could live my life the way I want to live in a completely free way, well, I'd spend all of my time making sure I wasn't getting killed by, uh, you know, by some libertarian maniacs, uh, you know, factory that was producing a product the cheap way made with horribly toxic materials uh, that started killing people, but no one noticed uh, and, until a bunch of people had died. And then, as libertarians would say, he'd go out of business and that'd be great, but a bunch of people would have died in the meantime and that's why he went out of business. And I would just have to spend my time uh, making sure that I wasn't one of those people who died. And so, so frankly, uh, you know, to me, I would love to give up my libertarian ideas of freedom and give away some of my money and have some of it wasted in turn for my type of freedom where I get to relax. I get to uh, take the bus and enjoy the scenery and not uh, not worry about whether or not I'm going to get there. And if the bus breaks down, I'm not going to have to worry about uh, being the one to, to pay to fix it. And, uh, and my quality of life, my personal quality of life will go up because I relinquish a certain level of at least the libertarian-minded version of freedom. So that's going to be it for today. I just want to thank a couple of members before I go. Of course, James H. signed up for a leftist membership, paid for a full year in advance back on November 19th of last year. And Carl H. signed up for a leftist monthly membership, also in November, on November 12th. So huge thanks to James and Carl and all the members and donors who make the show possible. I couldn't do it without you guys. You know, man, collectivism at its best. This is the best of the left membership program. <laughs> so uh, Carl and James, thank you guys for your support. Everyone, of course, can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and spreading the word about individual clips uh, that I make available from the show. Each clip you hear is linked up in the show notes on the website and uh, including the commentary you just heard. I will also put that on YouTube and you can share that individually as well. You can stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. 
Thanks entirely to the members and donors of the show from bestoftheleft.com. Oh